to me, that's when I realized, God, I'm making a huge mistake here because I'm chasing something that doesn't exist and I have to love what I'm doing. So for me, it was just slowing down and it's stop making it about the money and stop giving everything away and do it my way. I can't compete against a Diageo or Brown Foreman. I can't be like them. I got to be me. And it may sound strange, but there's not a lot of, this is just accepting who I am as a brand builder. Well, I'm excited to welcome into the show today, Brett Barish of Sovereign Brands. How are we doing, brother? I'm doing awesome. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. I think there's two things that, well, a couple of things that you and I align on. Number one is, you know, we got the locks mines up in a in a man bun today. You're you're rocking yours. I'm wondering if I should pull the ponytail out and let it, let it fly. And then both of us obviously have a love and, and passion for uh, for spirits and everything that comes along with that. I love your background. And I know we're obviously going to dig in on you know, what, uh, what that consists of and how that all came to be. But um, first and foremost, man, how's everything going in your world? Uh, fantastic. We're changing seasons right now. Uh, kids are back at school. Um, I'm traveling. I just counted. I've been to 25 countries this, uh, this year. So just a lot going on, a lot going on. All good stuff. So 25 countries this year. I want to hear more about that. But before we do... You're obviously a, a father and, and a husband. You've built a big business. Talk to me a little bit about uh, the the family and the you know the dynamics that you guys got going on right now. Um, I, I'm in a. I have six kids. I got five little ones uh, under the age of nine, and uh, I'm very fortunate. You know, as as sad as COVID was for so many people, some positive things happened for us, which is uh, homeschooling. Um, and now my, because of COVID, my wife loved, uh, when the kids had to stay home, she's homeschooling all our kids and we just absolutely love it. Um, and she's doing it full time and it means I get to be with the kids and she gets to be with the kids 24 seven. So it, it feels like we're, we're bearish family Robinson or something or Swiss family Robinson bearish or something like that. That's great, man. We did the same thing. Uh, I think obviously both of wow. us were in, uh, extreme, um, maybe political climates. You were in New York City. We were in California. And that kind of COVID, you know, dynamic led us to going. Oh, let's. We're gonna maybe take a step back real quick, and you know, uh, bring the kids back into the house until they sort some stuff out. And we didn't like what we were seeing, and it ended up being one of the greatest blessings. Where, like you, so said, you're homeschooling now. Yeah, we've been doing it since COVID as well. My wife and I. I love it. That's amazing. Yeah, it's. Uh... Well, I was in, on a side note, I was in Chicago when we started, I was living there when we started homeschooling. And what's crazy is I think we're the only family. Really? In the suburbs. Yeah. And then we're down in Florida now and there's, you know, it's a, there's a whole homeschooling community. So it, it definitely helps if you're around other people who are doing the same thing. There's no question. Absolutely. What has been your favorite thing that has come out of the homeschooling one for you selfishly and two for your kids and your family um i, I being around the kids I, I don't know i'm i'm of the belief that if you're going to have them the point is having them and having them around you so uh i love that they're around all the time and i learn from them i i it, it may sound strange but i i tell so many stories or analogies of brand building and having kids 
it's the same thing. Uh, I learn from them and being around them, they teach me about how to build a brand because that's what you're doing with children is you're managing them and you're learning from them and you don't know what you have until you put it out in the world and they're all different. So um, I don't know, the more around, more I'm around them, the, the more kind of the blending of business and family takes place. And I like that. And are they incorporated in and exposed to kind of your business, your business lifestyle that goes along with the spirits industry? Um, they are, uh, they are, uh, I'll do, I shouldn't say it. I'll do tastings and they'll pour it for me or they'll mix up the, the, cause I don't, I do blind tastings, So they have to move them around for me. So I don't see what I'm drinking. Um, but they know the brands and they know what I do. And uh, I hear them say, you know, what their friends and what is neat is that's what, that's what I did with my dad. Uh, my dad was the liquor business. And I remember being a kid, my three brothers were all in the business. And when we were like six years old and first started going to school, my parents would give us alcohol to take to the teachers, which is completely wrong, <laughs> but that's what I did. Um, and there's something, I don't know, there's something, uh, I, do I want him in this business? No, but do I want him part of this business? Hell yeah, because I think it's, I think if there's something to be learned. Yeah, there was, I think one of the greatest things that came out of COVID was just, you know, getting my, one, me being in proximity to my kids. I figured that is one of the greatest investments and ROIs that I can get out of life is investing and spending that time with my kids. And also giving them proximity into the entrepreneurial and business lifestyle, whether they decide to go that path or not. I know there's great skills, you know, and great growth that comes out of them just listening to my business conversations to negotiations, how you treat people, you know, things along those lines. So uh, I know you're gifting your kids that same thing. Um, You talked about this being a family business. Now, I thought Sovereign Brands was obviously, you know, something you spun up yourself and it's your own business, but obviously there's deep roots there. So maybe take us back to the beginning of how you fell into the spirits industry and how this all came about. So I, I I like to, I always say this, I think there's, well, at least two types of people in this world. One, they know exactly what they want to do. And I think they're the luckiest people in the world, if you know what you want to do. Um, and I fought, fell into the second category is I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I had lots of ideas and never chose one. And that's the worst, because for me, it was this fear of, well, if I pick that, it's the wrong thing. Am I wasting my time? So therefore you pick nothing and then you're just wasting a lot of time. So I wasn't until my 30s when I just said, I, I always wanted to do something in the liquor space. I grew up in it. My dad was in the liquor business for 45 years, same company. Um, he didn't want us or me or us to do anything in the industry. And I, I get it. You, you, you want your kids hopefully to do something easier. That makes sense. Um, and for me, uh, I think I had the best of two things. One, I I knew enough about the industry, but I never worked in it. And I think there's something positive about that because if you're too close to something, you don't see the, you don't see the opportunity. You don't see it. So, uh, I started the company almost a little over 20 years ago. And, uh, the goal is, is nothing's changed. It's pretty amazing. Uh, what I set out to do 20 some years ago. Um, I continue to do. And the beauty is I've never run out of ideas, um, you know, and, but I don't want to do anything else. I like this. So yeah. it, it's all, it's been a healthy, healthy experience. So a lot of people obviously see, right, your brands, the celebrities that you are around and partnered with and, 
you know, it's, it's exciting, it's fun, it's sexy. And yet, like you said, the spirits industry is feast or famine. It's hard, right? Where yep. did this inception of sovereign brands begin from? Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process. And in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer and the seller, especially when business owners who are trying to find qualified buyers are using inaccurate and outdated data. But it doesn't have to be this way. With LinkedIn Sales Navigator, your organization can overcome these challenges by leveraging this amazing technology and platform that translates comprehensive, high-quality buyer data into real-time insights and sales. These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to much better outcomes like building a bigger pipeline with real customers leading to higher win rates and conversions, and of course, larger deals and paydays all around. We call this deep sales and LinkedIn has built the first deep sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn sales navigator. Right now, our Millionaire Mindcast family has an amazing opportunity to try LinkedIn sales navigator and get a 60 day free trial at linkedin.com forward slash mindcast. That's linkedin.com forward slash mindcast for a 60 day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com forward slash mindcast and get started. Um, I think there's two points. One is when I started the company. Um, and as I said, that was, we launched on 9-11. So imagine, can imagine a worse time to launch a business and a brand. Um, but the, the, that's when we had a company and a, launched a brand. But the real time where it started for me was about five or six years later when I realized I'm trying to be I'm not me. I'm trying to be like everybody else. I'm not trusting my instincts. Um, I'm chasing money versus chasing happiness. Um, just lots of mistakes I made where I needed to go through that experience. Granted, I wish I hadn't taken five years, but I needed to go through hell in order to get to the other side where it wasn't about money anymore. More, it wasn't about success. It was just I love what I'm doing. I'm really happy, and you know what? I'll get there when I get there. And that attitude changed everything for me. So, kind of those are the two touch points for me: the day I started the business and the day I realized what kind of business I want to have. Mm. And those are, you know, five years, six years apart. If that makes any sense. Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, what what were some of those learning lessons in those first five years that maybe others, whether it's in a spirits brand and or just a you know a startup business, uh, could take away from some of the ahas that you really felt like served and helped you flourish? You know, going forward. I there's a ton. I wish you know people always ask what's one piece of advice. There's so many. Um, I think mistakes I've made is uh, uh, relying on other people. Uh, that's the biggest issue I think I've always had is I'm expecting other people to help me. And I think I had to come through that exercise of, you know what, they're not. And I have to rely on myself and I got to go make shit happen myself. I think trusting my instincts. Um, when if someone told me early on, you know, my biggest brand, Bel Air, which is this brand, you know, when I launched this, the thing all my brands have in common is everyone told us it, it couldn't work. It wouldn't, it wouldn't work. It's not going to work. And this brand, 
When I launched it, they said, you're never going to compete with Moet. You're launching a rosé first. You can't do that. You put it in a black bottle. You can't do that. And I would have listened to them and I would have changed everything because you know what? They're smarter than me. They've been in the industry longer than me. They've done this. And that's my mistake is I have to trust my instincts. I'm in this. If anybody's going to fuck it up, I want it to be me. Um, and I think lots of those things going through that experience of, you know what? I have to trust my instincts. I have to trust my gut. Um, I also think I have a saying, you know, sometimes not having a plan is a great plan. Uh, because I've, I've learned this is if you're wrong on day one and you stick to that plan for the next year, you're going to be wrong for a year. Um, so what I've learned is pivot constantly, constantly, you know, assess what's really happening because you can justify anything, uh, but constantly, you know, pivot. Um, uh, you know, just lots of things like that, that just was a wake up call for me. And once I started slowing it down, uh, it helped me. It helped me greatly. When, when did you realize that? <clears throat> Cause I'm assuming, right. You weren't building all the brands at the same time. Was Bel Air no. the first brand that you were kind of all in hundred percent focused on? No, well, my first big success was a brand called Armand de Brignac Ace of Spades. That was the nickname. It's it's uh, the first, it's the most successful new champagne in a hundred years. Um, but again, that brand is an example. Everyone said, Brett, you're nuts. You're competing. It's Dom Cristal and Krug. It's never going to happen. It's a multi-vintage. It's not a vintage. Um and I treated that brand differently than my first brand. And I always say my first brand was my most successful, even though it doesn't exist today, because I learned from it. And that's how I've learned. I, the goal is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make mistakes every day, but I got to learn from them. Yeah. I'm going to learn from them. And as long as you do more positive things than negative, you'll get there. But the first big brand for me was Ace. Uh, and... Even Ace is an example is I, uh, uh, I sold that brand. Um, it was the most difficult decision I've ever made. It's like selling a child, but it will allowed me to, to do all these other brands. Cause I never would have been able to do that. So, you know, I don't know how to raise money. I don't know how, I don't like investors, you know, so I had to, you, you give up some things, but you get some things. So you got to choose your path and I, and be happy with it. And this is, I'd love to say, you know, I'd love to have all these brands, but I've had to sell a bunch of brands in order to keep growing. Yeah. What what were some of the the ingredients and in what made that brand, right? Because so many people are out there building brands right now. And some people have amazing products and services, but they don't know how to market and create a real brand, a real community that people feel aligned with. What What was your approach to, and what do you think made, you know, Ace such a successful brand you know, that allowed you to get that market penetration and really scale to the level that it did? Yeah, I, I um, it's a lot of things, but I think at the end of the day, I, you know, I get proposals all the time, Matt, and on investments uh, in brands. And there's always that page that says, if I can just get 1% of the industry, I, I can get this much in sales. And then the 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 multiples on acquisition are this, and I'm going to sell it in five years for this. And to me, that was me early on. Mm. And to me, that's when I realized 
God, I'm making a huge mistake here because I'm chasing something that doesn't exist. And I have to love what I'm doing. So for me, it was just slowing down and it's stop making it about the money and stop giving everything away and 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 just respect, do it my way. I can't compete against a Diageo or Brown Foreman. I can't be like them. I got to be me. And it may sound strange, but there's not a lot of, this is just accepting who I am as a brand builder um, and how I go about things. You know, it's, I got to have a story about the brand. I got to have the taste better than everybody else's. I got to have a package that stands out because people need to notice it. Um, I'm an old school brand builder. I beat the street and go out and sell every day. Um, I, I also, however, kind of changed with the time. So when I did Ace of Spades, as an example, we had no social media. Mm-hmm. It was just, you know, my goal was getting people to write about it and talk about the brand. And that was newspaper articles, magazines, and a little bit of blogs. Um, and, you know, then I've got a brand like Bel Air where social media occurs. And now we're probably the single biggest brand on social media compared to any other wine and spirit. But it's the same philosophy. It's the same thing where I'm not, I'm not chasing money. I'm building a brand. And and my whole goal is if I'm profitable, I'm on my way. Yeah. I'm not going to do it by just, you know, throwing, I don't know how to do it where I'm not, if I'm, if it's all about the revenue and no profit, I don't know what that means. I need profit. I need to survive. And that's how I'll get there. What are some of the mistakes you feel like brand builders make nowadays? They 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 hold on to a, a decision they made way too long. They um, stick to their guns. Uh, it, it's a, something I see all the time. Is um, uh, you're you know how do I say this? Um, you know, in the music industry, and I, I I get to I talk to a lot of people in the music world. Every artist, if you ask them what their number one commercial success song was, did they think it was going to be successful? And 99 out of 100 will say, no, I hated the song. I didn't think it would work. And what that tells me and tells them is you got to just try shit. You just got to let it go. And I think that's the mistake everybody makes is they think their shit is it. That's it. There's nothing else. But you got to, to me, it's about learning about a brand. You know, I have a, I have a, I, I tell this as my example of my kids. I have a nine-year-old uh, son who's amazing at math and reading. Amazing. I have an eight-year-old daughter who's amazing at art and drawing, and, and she's very artistic. She's horrible at math and reading. He is horrible. He he's, can't draw worse shit, and he's a terrible artist. But what you do as a parent is you, le- you lean in on what they're good at, and you backfill later. And they're both made from the same people, right? They're both but they're different and that's branding and that's brand building is you lean in on what you're good at and backfill later. Um, I think a lot of people overanalyze and over assume things. And, you know, I, when we sell, I'm selling to all channels, to all consumers, to all segments. I think a lot of people, they, they want to define everything. They overanalyze everything. There's too much data. Like, I just, I don't believe in any of that. I, to me, it's, I'm going to go set the trend and, and let other people jump on board. I'm not going to follow somebody else's trend. That's great. I love that. Beating to your own drum. Because, right, people do get stuck in the numbers, the data. And now with so much information out there, right, everybody's a, a teacher, a guru, has their two cents on something. Everybody has an opinion. Everyone has an opinion. Everyone has something 
You know, to me, I, I, I think it's funny. So my brands, if you take a brand like Bamboo or Rum, which is the number one premium rum in the world, uh, when I launched this five years ago, again, my industry said, don't do this. Premium rum isn't a thing. We've made it a thing, you know? So the, the reality is everyone back then said, God, you've got to do uh, RTDs, you know, that's hot. And, and, and spike seltzer and spiked, you know, all that crap. Well, if it's hot, I'm late. I don't want to do that. If it's hot, it's too late. I don't want to jump in. I'd rather get into areas that that are slow and old and no one wants to touch because I want to go set the trend. I want to be the early guy. Um, but but what, what I've done, and if I use this rum as an example, it's in 80 countries. It's successful in 80 countries, not because the rum category is some phenomenal category. It's because of the brand. So I kind of, I'm a little bit of contrarian in the sense of I just want to go do it. And I believe I'll build an army of people who support it eventually, but it's just going to take time. So talk a little bit about the the sales and the, the marketing approach, right? Revenue being just the lifeblood of any business getting off the ground and growing. What was your approach in kind of the early and or mid years, or really, I guess, with every new brand of how you approach going and driving and generating revenue? Um, for me, I, it's, it's a great question because it hasn't changed. Nothing's changed. And we're bigger, but I still do things the same way. Uh, I go where I have the most resources, where I can get the most leverage, where, where I can get the most out of it. So if I have a salesperson in Illinois or five people in Texas or one person in Kenya, I'm going to go sell there because I'm going to leverage that. Um, I don't, I don't believe in buying the consumer, uh, meaning um, I'm not going to win them with something, uh, you know, I don't believe advertising is going to get there where I'm going to somehow convince them that, that this is it. But I think I can taste them and convince them this is it. So I'm not, I don't do events. I don't do big productions, big promotions. I think, I think um, for me, when a brand is big enough, you got to do that stuff. Sure. But it's a long time before I'm going to get there. And I think that's the brand building stage. And it's just, it's it's walking first um, and building around and seeing what works. Um, and every brand is different. So this brand is an example. Um, in, there's a saying in our industry, if you build it on-premise in bars and restaurants, then you go off-premise retail because you build it on-premise first to get a name. This brand, for whatever reason, took off at independent retail, Bel Air. Independent retail in the U.S. loved us. So we, again, the good thing is we pivoted. We realized, well, screw it. Who cares about on-premise? Because if it's working at independent retail, let's lean in on that. That's, that's complete opposite of the industry. So we go where we can be successful. We go where it's working. And I don't care where it's working. So this little brand, again, it's always good examples. In Latvia, which is 2 million people, this is the fastest growing brand in the country. We'll sell 24,000 cases, which is the equivalent of like 2 million cases in the United States. Wow. Who knew? We're the biggest premium rum. Every, every bottle of rum, one of two is bamboo. So it's all about leaning in. Once you see that spark, okay, lean in on it and then go do something. But it's not about, boy, Vegas is hot. Let's go to Vegas and let's go build a brand there. Or Miami's hot. Let's go do it there. Um, I kind of let things breathe and I'll figure it out from there. 
you talked about kind of that that face-to-face interaction, right? Really getting in front of the customers. You know, it's funny, right? In in the spirits world, I feel like as I'm scrolling through my thread and feed, I see, you know, a bottle and a cocktail next to it on a static image and that's it. And and that doesn't necessarily emotionally move me to want to do anything. So I'm curious on, you know, what was your strategy, the science behind the emotion, the experience that you were giving people when they were interacting with your brand at that grassroots level? Like what was the method to your madness? I I think to me, it's, it comes back uh, to, I believe in my my brand. Um, And I think the reason why most people fail in any business is they're in it for a financial gain and they're truly not in it. They're not in it a hundred percent. It's not real. It's not passion. It's not emotion. It's not heart. It's not soul. I'm in these brands. There's blood, sweat, and tears. I think my product, what's in the bottle, tastes better than everything else out there. I won't launch it if it doesn't taste better. I think the package but it looks better than everything else. I think you'll pick it up and touch it and, and, and probably keep the bottle once it's empty because you don't want to throw it out. I think there's a story that each brand tells. And if I have my people and me go out and tell that story, I can convince people this is the shit. This is better than everybody else's. It's real. And I believe if you, and you start to, I call it, you build your army. You got to find people who believe in you. You got to find people who are passionate about it, who get behind it. I think it's a strange thing because yes, we've got huge social media followings and yes, we've got lots of celebrities and all that. But at the end of the day, you know, my team and I believe in our brands and think they're better and it's an emotional thing. And I think that's the difference between great brands and brands that don't exist. There's an emotion, there's passion, there's, there's everything is behind it. Um, I don't know, it may sound corny, but I just believe in that. I love that. You got to be evangelical about, right, your mission, your brand, who you're serving. So I had, so Matt, I had, I'll, I'll always remember this day. It was that pivot point for me five years into this. I had investors, I had financial investors who wanted to blow up the company. They didn't believe the... They, they weren't in it for the long run. They wanted to blow the whole thing up. And I remember calling my mother, who's my hero, and telling her that this is going to happen. And she's like, Brett, I'm gonna, I'll sell all my rings for you to put it back in the business. And I said, I'll figure this out. But I remember telling her, Matt, if I could just, it's not, it's not about money anymore. If I can just live on what I'm making, I'm happy. Mm-hmm. I'm happy. And that's when it all slowed down, where it's not this mad rush for something. It's not this, you know, not money craze. I'm happy. I fucking love what I'm doing. I love selling. I love getting out there. That's what I've held on to for, you know, 16 years since that point. Amazing, man. Now, as you get to a certain point, right, it does make sense to do celebrity partnerships and it does make sense to do events. Talk a little bit about your, as you, started transitioning into that space, what was your approach to that? And and how did some of those either serve you guys in a really big way or, or where were some of the, you know, the failures in that? Um, well, I, the, the way I look at it is I don't try to do anything that's a transaction. I want to do everything that it feels organic and it feels mm-hmm. like it's it's natural to me. So if I was into country music, I'd be leaning in there. You know, if I was into 
you know, rugby, I'd be leaning in there. I'm into hip hop. I love hip hop. That's what I lean into. So it's a natural extension of who I am. And my brands are part of that. So I'm a big believer in in supporting people who support you. And that's what I've tried to do for 20 plus years where we're leaning and it doesn't have to be a big name. Celebrity, like, like to me, today, it's almost, I think it's almost scary because it's so watered down. Everybody's a celebrity today. Everybody's yeah. famous. There is nobody who's, you know, who's really famous. And it lasts two minutes or five minutes, whatever it is. So no one's famous. So to me, it just comes back to, I want to be involved with and work with people that kind of support us and what we're doing. So a great example in Africa, our brands do really well in Africa. And I'm really into Afro music, um, which is a really big genre of music in, in, in uh, uh, Afrobeats uh, in Africa. And we had a guy from uh, Cameroon named Chaco, who's an artist who wrote a song and he put a hook in it with Bel Air. Loved it. Amazing. He didn't have to do that. So what did we do? We supported him. Yeah. And he's gone from and supported him means we we got all our friends to support him. We we pushed him on social media. He's gone from 400,000 followers to 1.2 million since that song has been released. So it's a different way to approach brand building where everybody's got a benefit. Everybody's got to get something out of it. So it's not about who's the hot celebrity. I don't care about that. It's about who loves our brand, who appreciates our brand, who gets what we're doing. So I don't want to chase something that's hot because that's that's a transaction. I want to have something that's organic, that feels right. And, you know, good or bad, you like the person. I love that. Now, talk about when you you see trends, right? It's not that. I'm sure you're you're paying attention and you're seeing those things. How do you tease out the trends that you are intrigued by that you want to learn more about? How do you approach navigating that climate in today's world? It's funny. I I don't if it's trendy, I don't want to touch it. That's my view. I I I don't want to be involved in anything that's trendy. Uh because it's just I think you're late. You're late. You're jumping on. The, you're, the wave is already gone. You're never going to catch up to it. Um, so I don't believe in that. So again, you know, I, I get asked about certain categories all the time. I think they're great and good for everybody else, but I'm late in it, so I can't do it. I'd rather, and I end up choosing categories that everyone else says, God, why would you do that? That's not growing. It's not hot. I like that. Because then I'm being told you can't, I have a big chip on my shoulder, Matt. I, I, if you tell me I can't do what I want to prove you wrong. If you tell me it's not going to work, I want to prove you wrong. So in fact, every single category I've ever entered is not trendy. It's not growing. It's not, nothing's happened. But I built a brand that became the trend. That is hot. That something's happening. Um, so I sit in, in that camp. Uh, I like doing things. Uh, I like taking a different view of the world. Um, again, I'm not a data guy. You know, I'm not, I, I like data, but I like data where I can use it to my advantage. So, so great example in the rum category in the United States, 19 rums, uh, the top rums in the US, any price point, $10, 12, 15, 20, 25, this is $35 a bottle. 19 are down. Bamboo is the only rum that's up. Mm. 
So that's great data. I'm going to use that to tell all the retailers, give me more shelf space because we're the brand that's growing and you're going to make more money and you'll be more profitable because we're expensive than everybody else. That's great data. But I'm not going to look at the category. God, wow, that's really hot. That's a hot category. It's really growing. Let me get in. No, that's, that's not me. That contrary mindset always generally seems to be associated with all the great success stories. What is your... In, in those types of you know uh, categories, right? That maybe aren't as sexy, aren't as trendy, don't have as many eyes and ears. What's kind of your go-to market strategy of saying, "Hey, come over here. We got we got bamboo for you. You guys need to check this out." How are you getting that awareness and attention and traction behind your brands? It's uh, it sounds it's just going out and start selling. That's it. Just go out and start selling. And are you doing um, all through distributors and kind of the three yeah, distributors? hundred percent. So we're in the three-tier system. We've got our own salespeople throughout the U.S. Um, we've got it. We're in 70, 80 countries. So we have international salespeople. Um, I need them. I rely on them. They are the front line. They're, they're, they are just like me. They're gospel. They got to believe in the brands. They got to go out and sell. Um, they, to me, it's them that are making the, it's trying to create a, a movement your own movement and getting people to believe that the brands are better. And, and I think they are, they taste better. They look better. They have everything, but it's convincing people that this is the next brand. This is the next generation's brand. Uh, people do want something different. They, they, they uh, there's a reason why they're more expensive. There's a reason why you should trade up. So it's, it's telling that authentic story of why it makes sense. Um, uh, but it's also, you know, it's learning. So here, this is our newest brand called The Deacon. Um, amazing whiskey. It's from Scotland. It's smoky. It's sweet. It's peat. It's from Ireland, Speyside. Uh, we just did an event in Poland. I'm not a believer in events. I hate events. And our Polish importer did an amazing event. I would never have done, but I had to, I trust them. I, it's, I call it bottom-up brand building. Let it, the best ideas always come from the bottom. Um, but they did this amazing event that was better than anything I could have ever done. And I've learned from them. So now it's taking what they've done. And now I'm going to replicate that in other places. So that to me is where I'm learning about this brand. But it's not like we, we have this master plan when we launch something. It's just let it go and learn from it. It's just like your kids. You don't know what they're good at until I just found out my son is great at piano. Who knew? Who knew? He's a natural, you know, or my other son is he's he's like uh, he's a bull in a china shop. He'll probably, you know, it's like he's there's something out there that's for him. But by putting it out there, you'll learn what they're good at. And I think that's good brand building because you're always going to be wrong. Always. All, but if the brand is good, the brand is good. It's got all the USPs, all the things you want. But you don't know where, you know, who's the consumer you know, where does it go? Where does it belong? You don't know yet until you just let it breathe. That, and that's how I think about it. And how have you kind of pulled, obviously, you've got a culture, right? You, you have created this, this community. You've breathed, you know, that, that culture into every relationship, every bottle. How have you continued to onboard salespeople and build those relationships? How have you been able to build that army of people who eat, sleep, and breathe your product to really take it beyond what one individual can do in their own business? 
I tell them everything there is negative about us possible. <laughs> I, uh, my brother and I do the same thing. We interview people and talk to them. We'd rather tell them everything negative so there's no surprises. So you know exactly what, what you're getting. Um, and because if you if you tell them all that, then then you're you're uh, you know what the upside is. You get it. You know you got to believe it. Uh, but our brands, again, our brands are different. Our feeling is different. The way we do things is is different. Um, you know, and but like I said, it's uh, to me, it's when I think of our people, it's it's you can't. I can teach the industry. I can, you know, teach numbers. I can't teach motivation. I can't teach energy. I can't teach self-starter. So those are our people, the ones who are, you know, they're they're evangelists. They're out there doing what we're doing. Um, And if if you ask me, let me put it this way, ask me differently. If I didn't have what I have, you know, we're about 185 people now in the company. I couldn't be successful. I couldn't do this. Pure marketing would never work. I need people on the street out there selling and creating, you know, another 185 people and another 185 people and so on. That's how I do it. If it's purely, I don't know how to market. I don't know how to advertise my way into something. I don't know how to create. It's like trying to say, uh, boy, I'm going to make something go viral. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do that. I do know how to put a whole bunch of shit out there and some of it's going to work and some of it's not going to work. But I'm willing to try a whole bunch of stuff constantly and I'm going to learn from it. That's what we're good at. Talk a little bit about how you approach your day as a CEO, uh, building big company associated with big brands. How are you continuing to engage and structure and challenge yourself on a daily basis? Oh, it's a great question. I think I was talking to my brother about this, you know, um, and maybe if I'm an entrepreneur, maybe other entrepreneurs are this way. It's almost like we we give ourselves just more to do. We don't have to. And then you realize, <laughs> why am I doing this? Yeah. Like, why do I want another brand? It's more to do. Why do I want to do this? And I think at the end of the day, it's because for me, it's I want to see if I want to prove people wrong. And then I've got a team that wants to prove people wrong. And, and what I approach my day literally, and, and you know, to me, I think this is this is the one mistake that I think big companies don't do well. Is I'm still, if I was I'm 195 people. If I was 2,000 people or 20,000 people, I would still send emails out to my entire company every single day about something I fucked up on, about something I saw in the market, uh, something that I that I realized I can do better, something I saw that somebody else is doing. I think they make the mistake. I try to constantly create this uniform society where we're all in it. We're all learning real time. Every day, something successful is happening around the world. And I want to share that immediately because it's it's I think what big companies do and small companies and as they get bigger is they don't share. They wait six months. They wait eight months. They wait 12 months to have a meeting, you know, about what happened. I think you should be sharing constantly because you're getting, you, you make it, everything's easier and better and you learn from that. And that's what I do every day. I love, that's why I started out the conversation. I'm this, you know, 25 countries. I want to go meet all our salespeople on all the in all our markets, all our importers, I want to get in front of them. I want them to feel and see what we're doing on a daily basis. And I'm living it just like them. 
I love that. Talk a little bit more about that because I'm, I'm intrigued on, are you legitimately sending out one email a day to your entire 185-person team? At least, at least. So my brother manages the U.S., and uh, we have a team. We, we have, we're our own importer for the U.S. And then I run the company and then manage the international sales. And it, it's really neat. I've got a team of 60, 70 people on our, a WhatsApp group that has at any day 100 to 200 WhatsApp messages. And it's from all the salespeople in Turkey and Kenya and South Africa and in, in Morocco, all over the world, sharing what they success stories. And they're sharing it because we're all learning from it. And that, to me, is such a powerful thing because it's, it's real-time learning, real-time implementing best practices, real-time sharing. And I think that's the most powerful thing any organization can do is if you're all rowing in the same direction, you're going to get there. Like, that's the goal, especially for, for our brands, Matt, where I think of it as global. I, like, I think of my brands as global. I, mm-hmm. I like I call it global brand building. I think if you're in if you're in Sacramento today drinking bamboo and you go to New York tomorrow, you don't switch brands. You drink the same brand. If I'm in yeah. Paris the next day, you drink the same brand. If I'm Auckland, New Zealand the next day, you're drinking the same brand. So I want all the markets moving in the same direction where we're building something and we're all helping each other. And I think that makes successful brands. Do you study any other brands? Do you do you find inspiration in other brands? Do you think any other brands are doing it at a really high level that you've got respect and appreciation for? Are you literally just blinders on? It's all sovereign brands and only sovereign brands. It's, it's a great question because uh, I realized uh, quite recently I have no perspective because <laughs> I've never worked at another liquor company. I've never. And I, in some ways, that's a, maybe that's bad because, uh, or I should say, it's obviously worked this. well for you. It, it has, but it, it, perspective is a good thing because then you start realizing what we're doing right. So I remember getting a presentation when, when we launched the Deacon. I got a presentation from our partner on because I was curious how do they, what information do they give when they launch a new brand? And I got a 60 page presentation. And I, I got to maybe the 12th page. I'm like, man, I must be doing it wrong. Like, look at all this information. And then I got to page like 14 and I'm like, oh my God, this is too much. You know, I'm doing it right. It's, I keep it really simple. No mm-hmm. one can handle this much information. It's impossible. You know, I think everyone over overthinks and overanalyzes and over assesses. And it's almost like you're taking a test, you know, and we keep it simple. So it, if anything, it helps reinforce it, it. It does feel good that somehow we're doing it right. So Bamboo on Instagram, we have more followers than Captain Morgan and Bacardi. Those are multi-billion dollar brands with hundreds of millions in advertising. And I have more followers and don't spend any money on advertising. I must be doing something right. Mm-hmm. I must be doing something right where that we matter to the consumer. Um, so that, that's my way of knowing whether it's working or not. Um, and then ultimately sales, uh, and, you know, and my way is I'll say it this way. If you ask me, what does success look like? I would tell you the same thing. I tell all my importers, if the accounts are happy, I'm happy. That's all that matters because then you're on your way. Cause if they're not happy, then that's different. But if yeah. they're happy with a brand, we're on our way. That's brilliant. What's your favorite? spirit or brand 
within Sovereign. Are you interested in boosting your income by an extra $50,000 this year? If so, you're going to love what I've got in store for you. I am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors who are actively pursuing commercial real estate in 2024 and want to be held accountable to making sure they buy their first or their next commercial real estate investment property that will net them a minimum of $50,000 a year. This mastermind group will not only teach you how to do that, how to find, how to analyze, how to structure and buy these types of commercial real estate investment properties, but you'll also have an opportunity to be a part of an intimate group of high achievers that are going to take your network and your resources to a whole nother level. But here's the catch. Like I mentioned before, this is exclusive. We're only selecting 25 ambitious individuals for our founding members group who are serious and ready to take that next step in their commercial real estate investing journey. So if you are ready to increase your passive income by at least $50,000 in the next year with commercial real estate investing, then this is your moment. These spaces are gonna fill up fast and trust me, this is the one and only time to be a founding member, which comes with some pretty special benefits. So head over to myfirst50k.com and submit your application now. Again, that's myfirst50k.com. You can head over there, check out the program, see everything that it entails, submit your application to join, and I can't wait to connect with you soon. Always the one that doesn't exist yet. Ah, I like that. The, the one that's not out yet. It's all there's, you know, it's the new stuff that I'm all excited about that, you know, it's a year away and I'm anxious, you know, that's fun. But it, it, for me, it's, they're all, I, I literally treat them like kids. They're my children and they're at different ages. And, you know, this one's like a, you know, he's probably a teenager right now. They're off on their own. They're, they're, it's standing up by itself. It's on the floor. The pricing is right. It's all done correctly. This one we're just launching and God, it needs to be micromanaged like a baby because it's not, it's not on the shelf, right? It's not in the right location. You got to micromanage the shit out of this one. So to me, they're just like kids and they're at different stages of their life where they need different things, mm -hmm. uh, different supports. So, uh, I love them all, but they're all, you know, they have their goods and their bads. Are you working on anything new right now? Oh, yeah. A whole bunch. A whole bunch of stuff in, in categories that, that are not hot, um, but always really very premium in, I guess they call it the prestige category or really, really expensive. Um, but what happens, the way I approach new brands is I start drinking, my brother and I and, and our team just start drinking the category. Uh, so it's not rocket science in terms of, we don't have, I don't just say rocket. We don't have, uh, and big companies do this. They'll farm it out to agencies for tastings and testing and focus yeah. groups. I don't believe in any of that. I believe in trusting my gut and I'm the average consumer. And if, if you, Matt, if you came to my office, I'd taste you on the next new brand and see what you think. Like I I'll trust everyone's instincts based on kind of, you know, you just believe in it. This is, yeah. God, this does taste better. This does taste different, but I need it. I need our brands to literally, I'm always after somebody. I got to taste better than that somebody. Are you ever going to retire or what's the big vision for sovereign brands? Um, it's, it's funny. The goal was, if you ask my brother and I, 
20 some years ago was to come. If we, if we saw a way to make a better brand in a category, I want to launch it. And that's what we stick into. So nothing's changed. Um, is it harder? Is it easier? It's the same, but different, you know, it's all the same, but different. And the key, you gotta, you gotta be flexible and keep evolving with the times. Um, you know, I, I almost look like it's, it's like Chanel or clothing, you know, the, the goal is to have something that's timeless, yet it's got to be flexible and it's got to be couture. It's got to, it's got to evolve. And that those are good brands. I was having here, this is a good analogy. I was reading an article on religion and in the U.S., I'm sure it's happening in the rest of the world. The, the, the amount of people attending church or attending religion is declining in the U.S., um, and my wife goes to church and I don't, but she goes every Sunday with the kids. She loves her church. Her church has more people than they can possibly have. There's too many people who want to join. There's nothing wrong with religion. It's the way they're packaging it. It's the way they're selling it. If they're not evolving, they're not changing. So to me, you know, religion is a brand. It's, it's the way you sell it. Yeah. It's the way you present it. And I, I think, again, I, that's the beauty of why I like what I'm doing is I think I think I get inspiration from lots of things out there, which tells me, you know, boy, this is the right way to think about it. You know, there's nothing wrong with the rum category. They're just bad at selling it. You know, those brands, they're not doing it right. They're not convincing the consumer. So you just got to you got to convince the consumer there's something better. There's something that you want to enjoy and you want to be a part of. And that's the goal. I love that. Is that a good analogy? That's a great analogy because I, I think you're right, right? There's there's many brands and you can apply it to whatever category of life or business you want to, you know, put it towards. And many are archaic and don't relate to newer generations or newer consumers. And they are the ones that pivot and adapt and tweak and keep some of the good, but also evolve and mold and kind of metamorphosize, right? The The newness to something that is a necessary part of life is innovation and growth and change. A hundred percent. And and it makes me think again of kids. It's like, there's a way to convince your kid to go play soccer. You just haven't figured out how to do it yet. You know, yeah. it's just, you got to, there's a way to get people. You just haven't figured out the story that they need to hear in order to get them on board or get somebody else to tell them, or, you know, it's how you sell it. It's how yeah. you sell it. Now, as we wrap up, People are always intrigued by big business owners and what do they do with the money and the wealth that they generate? Is your approach reinvesting all of it in the business? Are you diversifying outside of the business? What's your approach to wealth building look like through sovereign brands and in your own world? Um, it's such a funny thing. I, there's... You go your whole life wanting money, at least for me, and then you get it, and there's nothing I want. Yeah. There's nothing I want. So um, it, to me, the first thing is it's security, right? It's security for your kids. Uh, it, it's, it's My dad always said it was always the most important thing in his life, and I get it. You know, like security for kids is the most important I wish there was something I really wanted, but there's not. The, the thing that it's done for me, Matt, is, and I can say this, is the goal was 
to have enough money where if I had an idea, I don't have to go ask somebody for money. Mm. I don't have to go raise money. I don't have to go out and, and do it. I can just go do it. Like that is a, it's the greatest feeling in the world uh, to be able to just go try something. Um, and to me, it's, it's just, again, I, maybe it's going back to the chip on the shoulder. I, I want to keep trying stuff. I've got ideas I want to do outside of liquor space, but I have an idea. It's not that I'm in that industry, but I've got an idea and I want to go see if it works. And yet I can go make it happen without asking because I went most of my life asking, you know, I, raising money sucks. It absolutely <laughs> sucks. And I'm not good at it. Uh, and I can't stand it. And I props to everybody who's good at that shit, but I'm not, that's not me. I love it. Well, I know a lot of people are uh, one already consuming your brands and may want to know where they can get your brands or engage more with you and what you've got going on. Where's the best place for them to do that? So any of the brands. So uh, we've got a, a Bel Air is our, our big uh, champagne, which is original uh, official Bel Air and then Bumboo uh, on Instagram. It's Instagram for everything now. Uh, me, it's Brett Barish, CEO. Uh, Bumboo is original Bumboo. We've got a, a, a French liqueur called Beyond, uh France. Uh, we've got a gin, McQueen and the Violet Fog. And then our newest is Deacon Whiskey. So any of those places. They're yeah, the greatest. You. They're the single best. They're all the best tasting in their category. I guarantee it. I love it. I have enjoyed this conversation selfishly for the world that I'm playing in now as well as I know there's just so many great lessons and nuggets around life, as well as business. So be sure to check out millionermindcast.com on Brett's episode, guys. We'll link up everything on how you can find them, how you can find all the great brands. Brett, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Matt. Really appreciate it. Thank you, everybody. Well, that wraps up this week's episode. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed that interview. And if you did, all I ask is that you take two minutes and leave a review in iTunes, where by doing so, you're also going to get entered in to win a $100 gift card. Don't forget to share this episode out with somebody else that may need to hear it or may get some value from what was talked about in today's interview. And for those of you who are really looking to accelerate your wealth building journey, you want to unlock more financial freedom, you want to get more time back, or maybe you just want to level up your life, your business, your finances, be sure to head over to MillionaireMindcast.com and check out all the amazing products and resources that we have for our Millionaire Mindcast family, whether that's one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, mastermind events, downloads and checklists, the Rich Life Planner for those of you looking to take your goal setting and productivity to the next level. We've got all kinds of great, valuable tools. So be sure to check those out at MillionaireMindcast.com. And last but not least, if you're not on my weekly text letter and you want to be the first to know of exclusive updates and offers in addition to behind the scenes access to a lot of the stuff that I'm doing that I'm investing in, be sure to join by texting the word notes to 844-447-1555. With that being said, thanks for listening today. Until next time, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your march to a million and beyond. Cheers, my friends. <laughs>